Willpower, Chapter 5, Determinative Will. The stage of determination is the fourth stage of the will process. Determination is defined as follows. One, the act of terminating or bringing to an end, the state of decision. Also two, strength and firmness of mind, firm resolve or resolution and absolute direction to a certain end. The first definition indicates the termination or ending of the process of deliberation, the decision resulting from the process of deliberation. The second definition indicates the beginning of a new process, i.e. the process of impulsion toward voluntary action and the direction of that impulse. In the following consideration of determinative will, you will see that both of these stages are manifested by will passing through the stage of determination. You must remember here, that in studying this subject, you're employing a method which may be stated as finding your definite purpose and which is represented by the effort to answer the following questions which you have propounded to yourself. For what purpose do I wish to develop and train my willpower and to manifest it in action? In what direction do I wish to apply and employ it when I have acquired it? What is the chief end which I seek to accomplish and to attain through the possession of developed and trained willpower. You have subjected these questions to the test of the deliberative will and are now presenting them to the determinative will for decision and for subsequent positive action upon that decision. The process of deliberation cannot be arrived at at the present time in absence of sufficient evidence to warrant an intelligent conclusion. Professor Halleck illustrates the act of decision following his deliberation concerning the summer resort previously quoted as follows. With reference to the summer result, deliberation does not end the voluntary process. The act of will is yet incomplete. Something more is necessary than one, a desire to go, and two, deliberation about a large number of resorts. My next voluntary step is to choose among the many resorts concerning which I have been deliberating and to decide to go to one. G satisfies my reason for the place as sailing and fishing, good walks, few mosquitoes and moderate charges. I then cut short the deliberation and decide to go to G. Decision is a termination of the process of deliberation. The illustration just quoted, however, ends with the performance of the first stage or phase of determinative will i.e. the stage in which the deliberation is brought to an end and the decision made. Here the individual says, I've decided to go to G. I shall go to G. He has made up his mind to go to G, but he has not as yet actually set into operation the will machinery of action upon that decision. He must also come to the point in which he can and will truthfully say, I have now the definite purpose of going to G. I intend to go there and I now begin to exert my willpower to that end. This last represents the second phase or stage of determinative will. In consideration of this particular phase of the activities of the will, we find present the typical examples of the distinction between the strong, healthy will on the one hand and the weak, flabby will on the other hand. The individuals composing the first class 
make up their minds firmly and positively, and then release their impulsive and directed powers toward the related will action. The individuals composing the second class, on the contrary, find it most difficult, one, to make up their minds, two, to keep their minds made up, and three, to exert their impulsive and directive powers into manifestation and action. The decision which terminates the process of deliberation is distinctly an act of will, and the sense of voluntary strain and effort is clearly perceptible in the process. Many find decision to be the hardest part of the whole voluntary process. Such persons frequently find it almost impossible to make up their minds to decide and determine their course of action. They have a decided tendency to allow others to make up their minds for them. Another large class is composed of persons who are in the habit of making up their minds in a flash without due deliberation or exercise of judgment. Such persons frequently find themselves in trouble as the result of their hasty judgments and often are required to expend considerable time and energy in their endeavors to rectify matters or to escape from the consequences of their ill-considered decisions. The course of the wise person lies in the direction of escaping these two undesirable extremes and in maintaining the golden mean between them. Many persons who recognize in themselves the tendency to waver in making decisions and to escape so far as possible the real act of decision and determination have vainly sought the cure for their trouble in the conventional advice and platitudinous instruction concerning the use of the will in such cases. These persons have felt intuitively that there must be some scientific method based upon sound psychological principles, which would enable them to overcome their handicap and serve to establish a new habit of making decisions and determinations. Such intuition is well-grounded, in fact, for such a method does exist and will accomplish its object. In the following several pages, we shall present it to your attention. In most cases in which it is found difficult to arrive at a decision following the process of deliberation, the trouble will be discovered to lie in the fact that the emotional intellectual value of the conflicting alternatives are too nearly alike to admit of an easy decision. When the full emotional intellectual value of the alternatives is clearly perceived, then the decision is easy in most cases for the weight is clearly on one side. In most cases, the choice is made almost automatically. It is axiomatic that the choice between the alternatives is quick and easy in the direct degree that their respective values are clearly and definitely known. In some cases, however, even the process of careful deliberation fails to reveal a preponderance of weight on either side, and the discovery of new attributes has served merely to raise both of the alternative courses to a higher plane of interest without bestowing upon either a greater proportionate weight. In such cases, the person is like the donkey who starved to death because he was unable to decide between two equally attractive haystacks. It is clear that if determination is to be reached in such cases, some new element must be introduced. The element of fixed standard. This new element to be introduced into the task of determination is known as the element of fixed standard to which we shall now direct your attention. We ask you to consider carefully the following method designed to apply the principle of this added element, for it contains the secret of the correction of many weaknesses of the will 
and the key to the cultivation of prompt, positive, and certain decision and determination. The fundamental and essential principle of the fixed standard is expressed as follows. You must establish in your mind a clearly defined certain and positive fixed standard of will values based upon an accepted general idea of your summon bonum or chief good with relative degrees of goodness or badness on the scale of will values. Said relative degrees being determined by the respective nearness or remoteness to the summon bonum or chief good. This summon bonum or chief good, which constitutes your fixed standard must be decided upon by yourself. No one else can do the work for you. It must represent your sovereign ideal, your highest conception of general conduct and action by means of which all special conduct or action is to be measured, weighed, or gauged. The term standard is defined as that which is established by authority as a rule for the measure of quantity, quality, extent, or value, that which is established as a rule or model a criterion, a test. In the present case, your fixed standard is the accepted test, rule or measure of will value. Your fixed standard may be modeled upon the character of some great person whom you wish to adopt as a model, or perhaps upon a composite character made up of the approved and esteemed characteristics of a number of such individuals. Or again, it may be the idea of some accepted adage, aphorism or rule of conduct which seems to embody your ideal of behavior and action, as for instance, the touchstone of positivity frequently referred to in our instruction, which is expressed in the test question, will this make me stronger, better, or more efficient? Or again, it may be some accepted statement of the general principle of ethical conduct and action, as for instance, the celebrated categorical imperative of Kant, that is, act only on that maxim whereby thou canst, at the same time, will that it should become a universal law, or in simpler form, act always so that you might wish your action and conduct to become the standard of the action of and conduct of all persons. Other aphorisms of this kind are respectively the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, or the axiom of Grotius, Wrong no man and render unto every man his due. Or again, you may adopt as your standard the maxim, my every action must contribute to my ultimate success or the rule that your every action must be in the direction of the betterment of the world or along the lines of some particular ethical, moral, or religious teachings. We have mentioned the above examples and illustrations merely to indicate to you the general principle involved, and not that you must adopt any of them. You may have some fixed standard of your own, which will far better suit your particular purpose. One purpose here is merely to have you adopt some fixed standard and not any particular one. The touchstone of positivity so frequently mentioned in this instruction, however, may be adopted by you as a sound practical basis of conduct and action, for rightly interpreted and understood, it represents a very high ideal of practical philosophy. Its test question, will this make me stronger, better, and more efficient, is based upon the threefold ideal of strength, virtue, and efficiency. Surely not an unworthy ideal and not contrary to the categorical imperative or to the golden rule. 
for it could not be objected to you as a rule of universal conduct and action or of justice to others. We offer it as a suggestion, but you are free to reject it in favor of a rule of your own without impairing in any way, whatever, the application of the principle or the method now to be explained to you. The adoption of your fixed standard will give you something with which to measure, weigh, or value any and all alternatives of action which are perplexing your determinative will. From it, you will build a scale or table of will values, a clearly defined and certain scale with which to measure, weigh, and value the alternative courses of action, which are constantly presenting themselves for the decision of determinative will. This scale or table of will values must be established as far as possible before the time of actual choice or decision. It must cover so far as is possible every probable demand upon you for a decision, particularly the general principle of choice involved in any special subject likely to come prominently before you. In other words, you must proceed to conduct your deliberation long before the time in which your course of action is likely to arrive so that when the hour of trial comes, you will have your basis of decision and determination already firmly and positively made, and thus be able to announce it without delay, yet backed by the weight of your previous careful consideration. In this way, you really map out or chart in advance the course over which your will shall proceed on its future journeys, and thus escape the danger of the rocks and reefs which wreck the craft of the mariner lacking such chart. In your table of will values, you must have numerous degrees or grades of values. At the head of your list must appear your top values, certain principles of action or surpassing value to you, and which must always be dominant. These top values must represent conduct and action operating to secure results and consequences strongly in line with your fixed standard. Thus, if you have adopted the touchstone of positivity, your top values will represent actions and conduct which clearly and positively tend to make you stronger, better, and more efficient. Your top values must have an almost religious significance. You must be so inspired by them that a suggestion of your violation will cause you to become horrified and indignant. These top values must be regarded as something sacred and to be treated with reverence. At the other extreme of the scale, there must be bottom values, i.e. certain courses of action which must be viewed with loathing and disgust and which under no circumstances whatsoever must be followed by you. You must firmly establish these bottom values and must keep away from the courses of action and conduct represented by them. There must be no flirting with them, no compromise with them. They must be regarded always as essentially evil and opposed to your real well-being and to your permanent happiness, satisfaction, and content. These bottom values must be to you what the devil has to the old-time Orthodox church people. There must be no compromise with Satan. You must always assume the attitude of get thee behind me, Satan, to these bottom values. In case your fixed standard is the touchstone of positivity, then your bottom values will represent those courses of action and conduct which unquestionably will tend to make you weaker, worse, and less efficient. Between these ever-to-be-sought top values and the ever-to-be-avoided bottom values, there will be a wide range of middle values or neutral values arranged in their respective places according to their respective degrees of likeness and unlikeness 
nearness and remoteness to the values situated at the two respective poles of the scale. Your judgment will dictate the proper place on the scale for each and every kind of value, and you will find it a very interesting task to place and arrange these possible courses of conduct and action upon your scale. You would do well to use pencil and paper here and actually to construct a black and white scale or diagram of this kind. The main fact to be remembered, the one vital fact upon which the value of the whole system depends is that the arrangement must be committed to memory so that it may be recalled easily at any time. Each grade class or subclass on the scale must have its own definite and particular place so that it may always be found when looked for. And each class must be definitely set off and apart from the one above it and the one below it on the scale. The more definite and positive your classification, the greater the degree of effective availability has your scale. The ideal scale is that one by which you may immediately determine which of any two alternative courses of action possess the greater will value for you. The nearer to this ideal you can come, the more effective will become your table of will values. A little active use of your imagination at this point will convince you of the wonderful service that a table of this kind will render to you. Think of being able to have a table of will values as all-inclusive, as infallible, as is the multiplication table. You will find that it is as great an improvement upon the ordinary hit or miss method as the use of the multiplication table is an improvement upon counting off on your fingers. If you have gone properly about the work of building your table of will values, you will find that in the end, your top values will represent A, your strongest feelings, emotions, affections, and desires. B, subjected to the careful scrutiny, analysis, synthesis, and final judgment of your reasoning faculties. And C, tested by your highest ethical or moral principles and standards. In establishing your table of will values, your physical, mental, moral, and spiritual natures have participated. It represents the essence of your whole nature and character. When you find yourself confronted with two or more perplexing alternatives calling for decision and determination, you have but to apply to each of the alternative courses the following test questions. What place on my table of will values has this proposed course? How closely does it resemble, harmonize with, and conform to my top values? How far is it away from my bottom values? The answer will give the proper value to you of each of the two alternatives immediately and directly. Your decision and determination will speedily follow. Moreover, by this method, the will is trained into the habit of decision and determination along the lines of the highest will values. However, you must remember that your table of will values may be added to, improved, modified, and subjected to the process of evolutionary development as your experience broadens and widens your intellectual, emotional, and moral horizon. The table of will values of the youth, while properly to be employed by him at the time, cannot properly be held to govern the man of matured experience. As with everything else in nature, the law of evolution should govern this table of will values. The system is no rigid, inflexible code, which when once formed and adopted can never afterward be improved or changed. On the contrary, the intelligent progressive man will see to it 
that his table of will values keeps pace with his ever advancing knowledge and experience. But here you should note two very important points of advice and caution concerning proper changes in your table of will values, which is one, never change or modify your scale of will values even under the influence of temptation or upon the suggestion of others interested in your decision or when under the fire of opposition. Two, while your scale of will values remains unmodified and unimpaired concerning any decision or choice of a course of action, you should live up to it implicitly and positively. It must be strictly adhered to until modified in the proper manner and under proper circumstances, i.e. free from outside urge or temptation, suggestion or opposition. The following additional advice concerning these points doubtless will be of assistance to you. One, as we have said above, your table of will values should never be changed or modified while you are under fire, either of temptation, direct opposition, or the suggestion of others. All your changes, modifications, and evolutionary developments in your table of will values should be made by you when you are apart from and free from the direct influence just referred to. This because when under the direct influence of these psychological forces, your judgment is not always perfectly clear and your emotional nature often is agitated. Here's the rule. The changes and modifications, those amendments to your constitution of will, should be made only under the same or similar circumstances and with the same care, consideration, deliberation and subjection to tests, which were involved when you made the decisions leading to the original formation of your table of will values, your constitution of will. By observing this rule, you will keep your feet on solid rock and will escape many dangers and unpleasant experiences. Two, again, we have told you that you should stand by and live up to your existing table of will values at all times. So long as your scale remains unmodified and unimpaired concerning any particular course of action, you should regard it as absolutely binding upon your will and judgment at the time. Any other course would lead you into that state of instability and uncertainty of indecision and lack of determination, which is the mark of the weak and flabby will. Your table of will values represents the best that is in you, the best in the whole of your nature at any given time and consequently, in the long run, it will be found to be by far the safest and the sanest guide to your actions and decisions. It represents you, yourself, in your state of calm and careful knowledge and decision, as contrasted with you, yourself, under the disturbing influences which shake your judgment and disturb the waters of your emotions. It represents the judgment of Philip sober, as contrasted with that of Philip drunk. Note this distinction, however. Though the stubborn, bigoted man stands by his table of will values, he does not let the law of evolution play upon the same. He admits no new ideas, no new viewpoints, no new facts arising from changed circumstances. The man of true firmness and stability of will, however, while likewise standing firmly by his table of will values, nevertheless always is willing and anxious to keep up with the times in his table of values, and he is always working to improve its quality under the proper conditions. While both men stand by their table of will values as they exist at the time on all occasions, there is a difference as wide as the distance between the poles manifested 
in their respective methods. In one case, the code is petrified and rigid, while in the other, it is flexible, alive, and subject to improvement under the proper conditions. The man who really is firm is fixed in purpose, but he is willing to change his position when his purpose is thereby served. The stubborn man, however, is fixed only in position. He sticks to his position even if his purpose is imperiled and destroyed thereby. Note the distinction. The above stated two cautionary rules will be found to work out well in practice in the long run, the few exceptions or apparent exceptions serving principally to emphasize the general rule. There are but very few cases in which those rules will not prove to be the formula of the wisest and sanest action and conduct. If you have exercised due care in building up your table of will values, the exceptions to these rules will prove to be remarkably small. So small, in fact, that they may be said not to count in the sum total of your experiences. This system, based upon the table of will values, is not nearly so arbitrary as it may seem at first glance. Inasmuch as your table of will values has been built carefully and has carefully passed upon in final decision, it represents the best in your emotional being, your intellectual being, and your moral being. This being so, it follows that in living up to those highest reports of your whole being and in avoiding that which is reported by your whole being as being low and unworthy, you are living up to that which is the greatest real and permanent value to you. You are being true to yourself and according to good authority in doing this, you're also being true to all other men. Establishing a conscience of will values. If you proceed with proper earnestness and determination in the work of building up and establishing your table of will values based upon your chosen fixed standard, and then proceed to apply the standards of that table honestly and conscientiously, then before long, you will find that you have established what may be called a conscience of will values in your subconscious mental being. This new conscience will grow strong and will soon manifest itself as strenuously and as efficiently as does the more familiar ordinary moral conscience with which all of us are more or less familiar. The newly awakened conscience of will values existing in the subconscious regions of your being will sound the alarm bell when you are in danger of violating the principles of your fixed standard and of failing to observe your top values. It will render you uncomfortable when you are not living up to the requirements of your standards. It will impart the feeling of a warm glow of satisfaction when you comply with the principle. The man in whom this conscience of will values has been awakened is blessed. He will have a something within which will keep his feet on the right path and which will warn him from straying into the bypaths which beset the road of attainment. And thrice blessed is he who, having this conscience, acquires the habit of steadfastly heeding its warnings and obeying its orders. This section of this book should be studied in connection with the one immediately preceding it and the one immediately following it. For the three sections are closely related in subject matter, and the instruction in each blends very closely with that in the two others. In the present section, we have considered merely the first phase of the determinative will, i.e. the phase of decision or making up your mind. The consideration of the second phase, i.e. the phase of firm resolve or resolution 
or absolute direction to a certain end will be carried over to the section immediately following the present one, i.e. the section dealing with voluntary action. The reason for such division of the subject and such blending of the two phases of will action will become more apparent to you as we proceed. 